This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So DNA, it's completely revolutionized genealogy and family history. Like there really is no other way to say it. And I'm not even speaking in terms of the percentages or what's called admixture, where you're this percent from this location and this percent from that location. While that can be useful, the most incredible part of it is the matching you to other people. And, you know, as someone who is a descendant of the formerly enslaved, who comes from folks who were sold away from their families, it's the number one way that we can try to reconnect ourselves to the branches of our families that have been completely severed away from each other. Hi, I'm Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. There are many reasons for people to travel, whether for work or for play. On this episode, we're taking a look at heritage travel, which has become more popular as DNA tests become more widely available with my guest, Nika Sewell-Smith. My name is Nika Sewell-Smith, and if you were to ask my mother, she would say that I can find anybody in just about anything. But to go, I guess, more granular and deeper, I spend my days chasing the living and dead people through the use of genealogy, as well as through genetic testing, especially in reference to populations that have been um, separated, displaced because of things like slavery, or even people who are trying to find their birth family or biological family as a result of maybe discovering that they were adopted, or maybe there was a scenario that they weren't aware of that took place at their birth that has caused them to, you know, recognize that they may have had parents, biological parents that they weren't aware of. Wow, wow, wow. What exactly is a genealogist? Well, a genealogist, by definition, is someone who does the study of tracing families, right? Family histories. We usually like to bundle the term genealogist and family historian together because genealogy in the pure scientific form is literally the nuts and bolts, the dates, the locations, stuff like that. But family history is when you combine those things with the stories and the kind of subplot, so to speak, of a family. You know, when you merge those two together, that's really what a genealogist should be doing is giving life to those hard and fast facts like a birth date or a marriage date or a death date, and then really doing the work around excavating the family story along the lines of what was going on at the time where a particular family or individual lived, what was going on in the country that they lived in, what was going on for them racially, if that was a factor in their life, whether it was someone who identified as Black and maybe later on in life decided that they were going to to assume a different identity, a different race, or maybe it was someone who became notable later on and came from humble beginnings. It's all about telling that full story 
beyond the facts and figures and really just giving us a glimpse or a bird's eye view into the lives of the folks that came before us. So what got you started on your journey into becoming a genealogist and why is researching genealogy so important to you? I really was a nosy child. I was the kid that used to hang out under the table as my mom and like the play aunties were playing bidwis and spades and whatnot and ear hustling all the conversations that they were having. And I just really was raised in a family where it wasn't just our immediate family that was considered family. Like our extended family was a big deal. And even now to this day, the thought process for some of the lines of my family that you don't know who your third or fourth cousin is, is like preposterous because we all know who each other, who we are. And that even goes beyond the bounds of, of location. I mean, we live all over the place now. And so when you're raised in an environment like that, where you're gathering every two years for family reunions and you know that you all are connected by this set of individuals who set up the foundation for who you are. It's just, to me, it feels natural to move into a space where that becomes what I do. And literally, I remember one of the first things that I learned how to read was our family tree. And it was for that respective side of the family. And I would literally like ask my mom a million and one questions about like where all the kids were that were my age and where did they live? And how come we didn't see them every two years? Now that tree that would roll out on just a regular dining room table is now 50 feet long. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it took lots of years and work to get to that place, but that is really just the heart of who I am and really the heart of the people that I descend from. But beyond that, it's just so much of what our family history teaches us about our unique families, it also illuminates American history and the history of the countries that your ancestors were from in a very specific and pinpointed way so that it's no longer arm's length for you. It's no longer when you read a news story or you come across a podcast or whatever it is, you know, I can't relate to that because I don't know anybody in my family that was alive then. No, you actually have the names of those people. We recently celebrated the 100th anniversary of Tulsa. And with that, I literally was sitting there thinking my grandmother was two years old and lived less than 50 miles away from where that happened. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to, to look at our elders in that perspective. But yeah, she was once a small young girl with historic events happening during her lifetime as well. Right. And you have to really qualify. Think about this two year old child who's within 50 miles of this really just seminal event in that area. And you have to qualify it or connect it to things that we see now, where we were when we first heard about George Floyd or mm -hmm. where we were when we first heard about Tamir Rice or Breonna Taylor, those kind of earth-shaking events yeah. where you remember exactly where you were at the time. And, you know, that's the thing. I mean, news didn't travel as fast as it does now. So they had to wait days for it to hit the papers. And then even then, especially when you talk about genealogy, you have to think about who was writing the stories, when they were writing it, were they omitting certain things? Were they not as impartial or you know, were they unbalanced in how they covered events and how that can also color how we distill facts and the stories of our ancestors now? Because there was a lot left on the documents, but there was a lot left off and we have to decipher what was said by what was said and what was not said by what was said. 
And I feel like, you know, with even personal family history, you know, I have one living grandparent left who came from, I think she had like 12 brothers and sisters and I am racing to get information because it's just her and her brother out of the, I think 13 or 14. Every time I'm home in Chicago, I'm like, please tell me whatever you can remember because I don't want to have to fill in the blank. I just want it from the source, which is you, grandma. Right. And for me, as someone who researches Black families, I hear a few things when I hear you just literally rattle off your grandmother's story, that there are only two children of 13 left. Mm -hmm. I hear an agrarian family. I hear Chicago. Mm -hmm. That makes me think of Arkansas. Mississippi. Or Mississippi. That's exactly where I was going. So you have this agrarian family that migrates to Chicago. There's 13 children. If you look at the highway map, that pretty much will tell you where people migrated from the south up to areas in the Midwest, out east and out west. It literally tells you that Mm -hmm. just looking at it. And then I hear people who maybe emerged and decided to leave the confines of what they knew, probably as a result of the military, perhaps. If there's 13 children Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. if she's still alive, that means that maybe some of her older siblings maybe were in World War II. And once they got that experience of leaving and not being in the ancestral location, they basically came home and chucked the deuces and were like, (laughs) nope, I'm not about that life. I'm leaving. It's such a common thread across Black families, because I can speak to this from this vantage point because it's my story too. Mm -hmm. It's the same scenario. My family left Louisiana and Mississippi to go to Chicago. Yeah. Just like yours. Yeah. And that is sort of the commonality and the very like tangible, just living history that I think we just often overlook. And sometimes in genealogy, people get so enthralled with tracing to slaveholders, figuring out who the last person was who enslaved their family. And and we're neglecting the living people who are here to tell their stories. And in particular, a lot of us are neglecting those people who were the first to do things following landmark legislation like the Voting Rights Act and just equal protections for people, people who got opportunities to be the first Black person at their job. Mm -hmm. Those folks are still living. They may not be the first Black surgeon or whatever, but they were the first Black person at that job. And they experienced some like really interesting things and some things that were not as good. And for the sake of chasing down folks that have died, we're ignoring people that are walking next to us that are living history. Oh, wow. You're right. And um, let me just go on to say, let me give myself a little plug. I am the first black pilot in my family. So, and I come from a ginormous family. So we're going to note that in the tree somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) You should, you should though, because in the, the other thing is in the pursuit of chasing deceased people and our ancestors of yesteryear, a lot of the folks that are actually doing the research forget to document themselves too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks to, you know, all of the folks I've been able to work with on this travel journey because that good old internet has me looking pretty decent. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. You're right though, because we have to also think, right? We're leaving what I call cookie crumbs of us all over the place right now. And just as people troll other folks for kind of nefarious means, right? We have to think about all these pieces of ourselves that are being left behind for our descendants or whoever the next family historian is in our family. We're doing that too. We're taking a quick break. And when we return, Nika shares her thoughts on heritage travel and shares a few of her own travel tips as well.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. My guest today is professional genealogist Nika Sewell-Smith. Before the break, Nika shared with us her thoughts on researching genealogy and family histories. I was curious to know more about her take on heritage travel as well. So what is DNA or heritage travel and what does it mean to you? So DNA, it's completely revolutionized genealogy and family history. Like there really is no other way to say it. And I'm not even speaking in terms of the percentages or what's called admixture, where you're this percent from this location and this percent from that location. While that can be useful, the most incredible part of it is the matching you to other people And, you know, as someone who is a descendant of the formerly enslaved, who comes from folks who were sold away from their families, it's the number one way that we can try to reconnect ourselves to the branches of our families that have been completely severed away from each other. And there's no other way to do it unless through years of trial and error of trying to trace your ancestors who were enslaved on paper, you are one of the lucky people that can get back to this information quickly. When you don't have that, the leads aren't always plentiful. So DNA helps us skip ahead in that process. And then when you combine that to not just your stateside relatives, but you can connect with folks that are across the pond in particular, you literally can type in a name of a West African country and look through your DNA matches. And if you find someone who has all four grandparents that are born in Nigeria, and that cousin is literally maybe the first or second generation to come stateside, you know you've got a tie to Nigeria and you literally have a location right there. That is beyond what a percentage can tell you. That's, no, my grandparents were from a B estate or all four of my grandparents were from this one village. So you have to have ancestry tied there. And for clarification, just so folks understand that, that means that That DNA match that you have that has all four grandparents born in a particular African location, they can even have two grandparents born in one and two parents born in the other. Either way, there was an ancestor of yours that was taken from that place, survived the transatlantic slave trade, and made it to the United States to have a living descendant, which is you. One of their siblings or one of their children was not taken during the transatlantic slave trade and lived their life out in their home country and their descendant has DNA tested. Oh, wow. That's how revolutionary this stuff is that we're doing. And I can't even describe the feeling of actually talking to 
someone in my own family who fits that description, where it's almost like a conversation that's like 200 years overdue is taking place like live. That is incredible. And the way you broke that down, it made me think of it in a completely different way because you're right. If one sibling is here and one sibling is in the motherland, that is still a part of your family, very much so. We tend to stick to our grandparents and their parents and kind of do that little thing. But you're right, when there's siblings involved and they branch out, that can very much happen. And that is, ah, thank you for bringing that to my attention because it allows me to you know, approach what I'm trying to experience now with finding my results that go back to Nigeria as well. Have you personally done any heritage travel yourself? Oh my gosh, yes. I've been to, and that's the thing, we can't even like qualify heritage travel. It's just literally when you use your passport. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we have to really dial back, especially with what we're experiencing right now, right? Like some people may not want to get on a plane. They may want to drive or they may want to even take the train or someplace, right? Like just within the confines of the United States, have you been back to your ancestral birth locations? So many people spend so much time like researching these places that they never even bother to step foot in them. And within our same, within within our country bounds. So yes, me, heritage travel all day, love it. Constantly go. I've traveled to, I can't even tell you how many counties and parishes across Louisiana, Mississippi, and Arkansas just researching my own family history and then going abroad and going, I've been to Cameroon twice. I've been to Benin once and just being immersed in the culture and like seeing so many of the crossovers between cultures and just especially being with family from Louisiana and just how much seafood is a part of Cameroon. Like that was like, what? Mm. You know, it was just a trip. Mind blowing. Right. And seeing dishes that you're eating and they're very similar to what we eat here. And it's like, how do these food ways translate? Like they literally survive time and space and location. And we are still doing the same things, even though a huge ocean sort of separates us. There's no other experience that I can think of that just really drives home that experience from the transatlantic slave trade Mm -hmm. and just going to where folks disembarked and literally walking the path that they walked. Again, so much of this stuff can be arm's length for us because it was, quote, so long ago. But to the deepest inner parts of us, it was not that long ago. And it's almost like that deep inner part of us starts to speak to the part of us that we didn't even know was there. Once we're back in those places, It's just something tugs at your heart. It's almost like you just remember what was there when you didn't recall it before you got there. Right. If someone is interested in traveling to learn more about their heritage or identity, what are some things that they should keep in mind and how should they prepare for the trip? Well, there are a few things to keep in mind. I mean, if you stay stateside, Especially with those of us who were raised outside of the deep south southern locations like me and you where we know Chicago, but by way of Mississippi, right? We can sometimes go into these places and our perception or how we think is different than the folks are that are there. And I'm specifically speaking to the U.S. It's just different culturally. 
And so I think of an example, when we went to go and do research where my family's from in Northeast Louisiana, it's a team of us from my family that meet. And so we're in the courthouse and one of my cousins went to go use the bathroom. And she's from, you know, a Northern state, Midwestern state. And so she came back and she said, oh my gosh, there's a guy out. There's someone who's like in a prison jumpsuit and he's just out. He's just literally walking around with everybody else. And I started laughing, but then I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't know. They use prison labor to clean Mm. the courthouse where our family's from. And she's thinking that this guy has busted out of jail. (laughs) Oh my. And he's just walking around and she needs to tell someone. It's like, no, that's what his job is. That's what he does while he's incarcerated. But again, that's a cultural shift. Yes. And people don't think the same way. They may not do the same things. You might not have the same food. You might not have the same access. Expecting Uber to operate all across the United States? No. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just hail an Uber Mm -hmm. in, you know, Lake Providence, Louisiana. No, there probably isn't a driver around for like 100 miles. (laughs) You know what I mean? So in addition to just kind of knowing the system in terms of stuff like that, it's not going to be like San Francisco or Oakland. It's going to be Lake Providence. It's going to be Monroe. It's going to be Ruston. It's going to be those locations especially if you're going abroad, you want to make sure you have your visa. You want to make sure you have your immunizations. You want to make sure you have enough lead time to get those things so that you're not pressed for time. If you don't have a passport, getting a passport to make sure that you can do that. And then for me, especially when you're abroad, you really want to have a great person traveling with you who knows the area and can speak to the historical aspects of it, who can speak to especially aspects of life that we know here stateside that maybe the folks there don't know and can also translate the things that we don't know that they know, because that's also another thing. The history that they've been taught about, especially the transatlantic slave trade, is not the same as the one that we've been taught here Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So there's a lot of cross exchange that has to happen. And you want to research the region. You want to make sure you're doing things like visiting the Department of State, Secretary of State, you know, so you know what the climate is politically, socially, just so you're not walking into some potential issue, you know, where you maybe get stuck or something else happens. And I think the other thing is what I liked was I liked something that wasn't so structured. I liked having the ability to go to the market and just walk around and like, look at things and buy things and like eating at places where local folks ate instead of like a McDonald's. I wanted to be immersed. I wanted to meet people who were from those places and just talk to them and, and as well as take in the cultural sights and sounds. And that's just how I operate when I travel anywhere too. I like that. What are some of the challenges that people can face on a heritage journey? Ooh, I think One that most people don't even really consider is how emotional it can be, Mm. especially if you are tied to populations of people that have survived some catastrophic things. Anything from going to internment camps from the Holocaust, that's a very emotional experience, just like it would be for visiting Elmina, a slave castle. It's so interesting because when you enter spaces like that, that are very sacred and just heavily emotional, you walk in with sort of like one way of carrying yourself emotionally. And then usually within like the first, oh gosh, I don't even know how many minutes, it just hits you. It's like all of the souls of all those people who passed through that space or died at that space come and meet you. Mm. 
it's just, oh my gosh. It's like one of those things that you just, the image never leaves your mind. And that is, I would say, just being prepared for the emotional stuff like that. I would also say just cultural differences, you know, especially going to Benin and Cameroon. It's like you've got stores and markets and things like that, but it's not the same way as it is stateside and kind of having expectations that everything is going to be the exact same. It's not. It's a different country. They do things differently. And so I would say the best thing that you could do for yourself is to really learn about what the culture is like there and maybe engage people that you know or that maybe friends know who have come from that area or who have traveled there so that they can kind of really prime you on things to expect. So here's a question that I have for you. What do you say to the skeptics or those who are apprehensive about taking DNA tests? Well, for me, I always tell people, do what you're comfortable with. You should know all the ins and outs or the possible positives and negatives of anything, regardless if it's a DNA test, if it's moving into this apartment, you know, whatever, right? You want to weigh all the options. And with DNA, I feel like in some ways, because of more prominent coverage that has happened, you know, of different events over the last few years, people have become more fearful of it and rightfully so. You know, it's something new, it's something emerging. And so of course it's gonna scare people. And so of course, if you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. Mm -hmm. You also wanna know the terms of service for whichever test you take and what your data is, where it's going, who has access to it, how people can gain access to it or how they can't, how the company can protect you in terms of access, especially if law enforcement access to your information is a concern. What is the company's track record on that? There are some companies who openly allow law enforcement access, and there are others who will fight tooth and nail not to allow that. And so you've got to be clear on that. You also have to be clear on what the company is offering. Some people have expectations. Well, I want this, but then they don't read up on what the test does. And then they they order it and they're like, well, that's not what I wanted. No, talk to somebody again. Find someone who's already tested with that company and just ask about their experience. Maybe hop on a video call and have them walk you through what they see, just so you know what's available to you. But for me, again, the discoveries that I have made with genetic genealogy and with DNA, there is no way I could have made those discoveries in my family history without that. It was literally the only way I was able to find those things. Let me tell you something right now, Nika. I could not agree more. I have recently taken two of the most popular tests and the things that I have found out have been mind blowing and life changing. And to be honest with you, I was one of those skeptics. I am now eternally grateful for the discovery that I have made to say the least. So that makes me ask you, what's next on your genealogy journey? Oh my goodness, what is next for me? Well, I would say, I still have places here stateside I need to go to that are connected to my ancestors. So getting down to some places in the deep South, that's definitely on my to-do list. And also just trying to trace certain lines of my family back further. My grandmother, who was my closest grandparent, I didn't really have the names of the majority of her great-grandparents. And I'm only left with one set now. And Mm -hmm. that's as a result of DNA. So 
chasing down Grandma Alice. She just blew into town one day. So <laughs> that's another thing. <laughs> that's another thing that's on my radar and moving, really just moving the needle on the perception that we can't trace our ancestors while they were enslaved. Yeah. And really continuing to do my part to really dispel that myth and to show people that, no, you don't have to be special. You don't have to go on television in order for you to find this information. It's there. It's available. And you just have to be willing and able and capable of searching for it. Well, Nika, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and like just so much knowledge and information. I hope that people look into DNA and heritage travel. I know that I definitely want to find out more about my roots in this world beyond what I know from Chicago and Mississippi. And as you know, there's a whole world out there that we come from and we have the right to find out who are these people, where were they at and what transpired in history because whether we know it or not, that has all trickled down and affected us in this day and age and personally right now. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been Let's Go Together, a podcast by Travel and Leisure. I'm Kelly Edwards, and my guest this episode was Nika Sewell-Smith. Follow Nika on Instagram at Smith, and learn more about her work at whoisnikasmith.com. Be sure to follow Let's Go Together on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review. Join us next time on Let's Go Together as we close out our second season by looking back at some of our favorite moments from season two. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Lena Beck-Sillison, and Marvin Yu. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks also to the team at Travel and Leisure. Deanne Krasersky, Nina Ruggiero, and Tanner Saunders. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag, and you can find me at Kelly Set Go. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week for more from Let's Go Together.